Hi, my name is Emily Cornell. I have been coming to the well. Hi, Huli. I've been coming to the well for the last three years. I'm proudly part of the Cherrywood group, but I've been part of the Arboretum group. Thanks, folks. Um, I'm going to be doing the scripture reading. Um, first, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I'll also be reading from Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Saints of Christ, what's good? <clears throat> uh, happy fall festival, Bible costume wearing, hallelujah night, harvest party, trunk or treat day. <laughs> Look, I know some of you grew up with parents who acted like they didn't celebrate Halloween. And I ain't going to act like all those things, the exact same thing, but how are we? We good? Good, good. Look, that hit too close to home for some people. Um, hey, we are in our second to last week of our generous worship sermon series. And uh, two weeks ago, we took a little bit of a shift focusing less on the financial portion of our giving and talked more about discipleship in general. And so as we think about equipping the saints, which is actually our uh, distinctive, one of the things that we desire to do and to be as a church, uh, there's a long paragraph with a bunch of verbiage in it, but it's really something up in the first sentence there where we say, uh, we want to pursue all Jesus commanded with all of ourselves. That's what it means to uh, actually be a disciple of Christ, to pursue all or everything that Jesus commanded with all of ourselves. And throughout the generosity series, we've been looking at this and thinking about this, being generous with our finances as we give to God materially as a spiritual act of worship is one of the commands of Jesus. It's one of the what's of being a Christian. However, we don't just obey uh, God with uh, just these little portions of uh, obedience only. We actually want to give all of ourselves to God. So we've been focusing on not just the what of discipleship, but the how of discipleship. In fact, we put this tool up on the screen every week where we've looked at how Jesus commanded us to love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we were looking at finances, particularly in the way that we do that. And this is really important, beloved, because if we only focus on the what we're supposed to be doing, doing, then what will naturally happen is we'll begin to drift towards moralism or legalism, which is what many people who grew up in the faith grew up with, and it's actually what a lot of us ran away from. Because if we're only focusing on the what of discipleship, then we're only focusing on the law, and law-based thinking only turns us into legalists. And so today we're shifting from our focus of the great commandment, the how, into the great um, or great commission, into the great commission, the the what as well. Because see, a lot of us we uh, understand the what of it, we don't understand the how of it. And one of the important things, y'all, is that if the what turns 
turns us into a legalist, and that's what we tend to think of, then at the same time, only focusing on the how actually turns us into antinomians, antinomianism. That's a really fancy old word that means against the law is what that word means. In other words, we actually run towards cheap grace. And so if we only focus on the how as if the law or the what of Christ is bad, then we don't really submit to the lordship of Jesus. In fact, we see him as just Savior and not as Lord as well. And so both sides of the coin are very important because I think that in our generation, many people ran away from legalism, which isn't the true gospel, and ran right into antinomianism, which isn't the true gospel either. It is just as dangerous for our souls. It's actually the opposite of freedom. It's slavery, y'all. When we go against the law, we actually enslave ourselves to our own desires, and that turns into our ruin. We need both the what and the how if we're to be true disciples of Christ and to truly be set free the way that Jesus desires. And so as we look at the what of discipleship, as Emily just read in the first portion of our text today, the great commandment, there's a lot that, or the great commission, those two words are like the exact same, they get all jacked up in my head. Y'all know what I'm talking about, okay? There's a lot in that passage at large, but our overarching goal in following Christ, our big what is to make disciples which is the command of what it means to follow Jesus. Disciples are simply followers of Christ, and we baptize them, meaning that we see new converts or new people that are coming into the faith. That's why we just did our One Place series in the summer, really thinking about, man, where does God have us that we may reach those around us? It's why we have the new believers class, because we believe that people should regularly be coming into the faith, really exiting their old lifestyle and entering into this covenant relationship with the creator of their souls. And we want to see this more and more. But the win here, the the victory, isn't just conversion. We actually want to submit to everything that Jesus taught us to obey or observe, as the text says. This is the what of discipleship. It's observing all that Jesus taught. And that's a lot, y'all, because there are over 1,000 commands in the New Testament alone. And with each of those commands, God wants us to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, a.k.a. you're always going to need Jesus the rest of your life because you will never arrive at perfection in this way. But the Spirit of God does dwell inside of you, so you can move closer and closer to being holy as he himself is holy. And so we've been discussing how we do this with our finances, how to do the what in our giving, because this is one of the 1,000 commands to give generously. It's one of the things that Christ commands of us. But the same principle is true in all the rest of his commands as well. For example, you could do this same principle of the heart, soul, mind, strength in something like marriage. Like how do you think or how do you feel or how do you sacrifice fully? How do you act godly in the covenant of marriage? And there's a lot that we can do there. That's why there's whole books on marriages. That's why there's whole classes and seminars on marriages. That's why there's whole books of the Bible that are focused on marriage as the main topic. It's why it's one of the main 
main things in personal discipleship, on one-on-one meeting together because marriage is really important. And it's hard to follow Christ here, but it's also really rewarding when we decide to do that. Or we can flip on the other side and we can look at another command of Christ, which is flee sexual immorality, and we can look at how do we love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength in our sexual purity. What does that look like? Well, with our soul, we first of all have to believe that there's something much better than sex that is offered to us, which is hard because our culture often tells us that few things delight your soul's worship more than sex. And so we'll sacrifice our convictions to have sex rather than sacrifice sex to have Christ. See, now, let's not trip, okay, because the gospel does cover us when we fall into that, does it not? That's why we preach the gospel over and over and over into our souls because God does forgive. But when we disobey the command of Christ, we still feel the weight of that disobedience. We feel the fractures because we are neglecting the freedom that Jesus has to offer us. It's not just the how that's important, what is important as well. And so our soul has to believe that. And then we will forsake or we will maintain purity in this. But belief in the soul isn't just enough either because our heart and our strength and our mind have to be there as well. That's why we do things like purity classes with the Browns and, um, and, and Walker Burns. And, and there's these seven pillar studies and different things, if you haven't heard of, that you can go and learn how to activate the mind and how to be practical with the hands so that you may follow this command fully. You see, this area by itself could be a whole study. And it could be a whole sermon series just like our finances were. And it will actually take a lifetime of pursuit because truly loving God and every single command with all of ourselves is hard. You could do it in something like reading the Bible or prayer, right? You can do it in fasting or fellowship. You can do it in all these different ways. Now, you can hear this and hear the the difficulty of this, and I believe that you can think one of two things. We can either think, man, this is really hard. Uh, Why would God give me so many rules to follow? And you can actually see him as mean and burdening in that sense. And we can feel burdened with all that Jesus taught us to obey, all that he taught us to observe. Or we can think, my gosh, this is really, really gracious of God. Look at how many things that God has shown me that I might become more like how he has designed me to become more like him, more free. There's only one of two responses to the commands of Christ. Either we are burdened by them or we realize that they are liberating for our souls. And we have to realize where we are in these. You see, Jesus and God did not give us a bunch of rules to burden us, but a bunch of ways that free us from the idols that will ultimately crush and oppress us. Jesus' way is the way of freedom. And the more we submit to these laws and the more we teach others to do the same, the more we will be free in our souls and the more we will create a beautiful society around us. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York and an author, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, he says this. He says, modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. But think of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it is free only if it is restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put onto the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon even to live is destroyed. 
The fish is not more free, but less free, if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. I love this quote. If you take a fish and put it on the land and say, now you're free, buddy. You just killed homeboy, right? Like it is not free, it is less free in that way. And so God has given us all these commands to do not to burden us, but to liberate our souls. And every time we go against it, it's us being fish on the land. It will surely end in our death. Apart from the law of God, you are not more free, you are less free, you die. There is slavery to our souls that we introduce in when we reject the commands of Christ. You see, freedom often comes through submission to a sacrificial master. Don't miss that. Freedom, it actually often comes through submission to a sacrificial master. And so there are a thousand plus commands of Christ. And once again, we could focus on evangelism, which is why we did our One Place Sermon series. And you'll see the life of it even next week when we celebrate baptisms. And how people are experiencing life and how even the people that are baptizing others, they get this life and celebration because following this command of Christ gives life. We could talk about general discipleship, how you help other people follow Jesus. We'll actually do that later in the year, though. We could talk about killing some sin, which is good, or communion fellowship. All of these things that Christ gave us to follow are actually beautiful for our souls. But I want to focus on a really abstract one here. Because I think if we could see something very abstract, like the second verse that we read today, and realize how we can follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, in something as simple as what Romans 15 shows us, then I think that we'll see how each of these commands are actually for our good and for our life. And so that second verse you see there on the screen that Emily read for us today, Romans 15 verse 7, it just very simply reads, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is actually a really, really simple command, a way that we model and mimic God in heaven and Jesus. But I believe that it has profound impact Once again, every command is for our good and every command is for our flourishing. In each command, we become more like our God because in every command, he fulfills these things to perfection. And because I believe that we are made in his image and we are made to represent and reflect him because we are image bearers, then we come alive when we practice these commands the way that God himself would practice them or when they are practiced towards us. We feel this life that the gospel affords. To welcome here is actually a really, really, really beautiful word. It means to grant one access into one's heart to take friendship or even intercourse. And so it ain't just like, hey, what up? And that's it, all right? That ain't welcoming somebody that's going, hey, what up, to them, okay? To welcome them means to receive them in that sense, to, to bring them in close. The Greek word is the word uh, proslambano, which actually means to strongly receive or to take. Paul could have used the regular word for receive, but that P-R-O-S, that pros at the uh, start of that word, it modifies the word to make it an extremely strong word. So he says, like deeply or desperately or extremely receive one another in intimate ways. And when we think about welcoming one another, even just in the gathering, like think about the practical impact that following a very simple command like this can make. For those of you who remember... Okay, 
How many of you were actually like nervous when you very first visited the well? Maybe just a little bit nervous, right? But you didn't know like where to go. You didn't know who you might meet. You didn't know what to say. You didn't know what type of church we might be. You didn't know if you would be welcomed here. If you were just a little bit nervous, if you can remember the first time you visited the well, would you raise your hand and keep it up high, 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 high. Don't be ashamed. Look at that. Okay. Now look around real quick. Keep your hands up. Like look around. All right. Now, 10% of us in here are just walking with confidence, right? We're like, I ain't care. All right? But you ain't get picked on in school like the rest of us, okay? The rest of us, we got some insecurities, y'all. And so think about the impact that following a command like this can have. It may be the reason our church exists. Don't miss that, right? Like, if you were not welcomed, if you came in and you were rejected, would you still be at the well? And so there's something important about following a command like this. It literally builds the body of Christ. The gospel point here, I want to give it early. And if you were at the men's and women's retreat, then you'll see what I'm doing with the EFAP here. But Jesus literally practices this to perfection, does he not? You see, Christ expressed absurd hospitality towards us, literally welcoming people, receiving people into his presence like, you remember the kids that were running up on him? And the disciples were like, no, nah, not the kids. And he's like, what? No, welcome them as well. Jesus is our example here. Or the women that were running up on him and people were like, yo, you can't be doing that with women. Everybody who was looked upon as less in that culture, Jesus welcomes all the more. You see, Christ expresses this to perfection. He strongly or intimately welcomed these people into his presence. In fact, he welcomes you into the kingdom of God, Gentile. People who are not worthy to enter into the throne room of heaven, you and I enter in now because of the welcome of Christ. Jesus expresses this to perfection. In fact, in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 2, it'll be there on the screen, but Jesus says this about the kingdom of God. He says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That word take here is that same word, proslumbano. In other words, Jesus brings you into his presence. He makes a place in a strong way, in an intimate way that you might feel welcomed by God, even though that place is not your home. But it is your home because Christ has given it to you. And so Jesus welcomes us in these beautiful ways. And in fact, Jesus is not just our example or our perfection. Jesus actually atones for our mistakes. He covers our failures when we fail to live out the Romans 15 command. Because so though Jesus welcomed everybody, Jesus was actually rejected by everyone as well. You see, Jesus, the most welcoming person ever, should have been reciprocated that sort of welcomeness. But instead, Christ was rejected by everybody, having no place to even lay his head. Though he makes a home for you, he became homeless that you might have that home. You see, Christ himself was rejected by all so that you and I might be received by the only one whose reception matters anyway, God. In fact, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, this is the last five verses of the Bible. It ends with this. Verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride, that's you and I who believe in Jesus, we say, Come. 
And let the one who hears come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, let him come and drink it. This is the end of the story. You actually receive, or that word take the water, it's the same word there, proslambano. You receive intimately the wellspring of life that you might be delivered for your soul. You see, you're welcomed eternally by God. Like, doesn't it feel good when you're truly welcomed, y'all? Like, if you think about this for a minute, like, like, think about the person who you actually really desire to see. If it's at, like, church or maybe a community group or maybe at your work or something, like, you just know that you're going to be embraced by them, right? Like, that person that comes up and gives you a big old hug, it feels good to be received by them, doesn't it? That's actually how you're going to feel for all of eternity, but by God himself, That is good news. Huli over here about to start crying. I see it. (laughs) Listen, this feeling of being strongly welcomed, this is what you will feel if you're a believer in Jesus. You'll just feel it from Christ himself. So therefore, when we practice it, are we not imaging Christ? And is that not why it feels so good? Like even lost people, they can image Christ, right? So it's not just the church that does this. All of us can actually be examples of Jesus. It's why you feel so encouraged when somebody welcomes you. This is good news. This is because Christ was forsaken and he was not received and he died outside the camp. But when he rose, he told us that not only can we be welcomed by him now and have this intimacy with God, we can even welcome one another and have intimacy with each other. This is the part of the what of disciples. It's one of the many commands of Christ. You see, when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, I believe, as Romans 15, 7 says, it is to the glory of God because it's what God does. It's what he does to you and to I. This is actually, I believe, one of the things that sort of set the well apart, particularly in early years, but even to date, is that we were doing this in some really awesome and some really unique ways. Like, we believe that this thing was a family thing. We believe that we were family, not just this random gathering of saints, but that we were the collected body, the family, the household of God, and we welcomed one another into that. And I believe that we were tasting these fragrances of eternity when we did that, when we welcomed each other truly as Christ has welcomed us. I believe what made us so unique in that was that it's kind of easy to welcome people who are kind of like you. It's a little bit hard to welcome people who are not like you. And yet we did it all the more, maybe even because of that. And it became this beautiful expression of the kingdom of God. I actually think that the pandemic tried to rob that from us. And I believe that I've been seeing it begin to rebuild in some awesome ways. And it should continue to rebuild because it's a command of Christ. We should welcome one another and bless people, not just by going, hey, what up? But receiving them in these really gospel-like ways. I mean, think about the importance of this here. Once again, this very simple, great command, the, the what idea of following Christ. Think about the importance of doing it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about how it complements evangelism. In John chapter 13, the chapter right before what we just read, beginning in verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So they realize that there's something different about us because we love each other and it becomes a literal witness to the gospel in some awesome ways. In fact, oftentimes I think that people believe that mission drives community, that as you do things together, then you're kind of intimate with the people that you do stuff with and they use analogies like a soldier analogy or a football team analogy. Look, I was on some whack football teams and I didn't feel like they was my brothers. I'm just keeping it a buck, all right? I was like, I'm ready for season to be over because we suck. We won an eight. I'm ready to play basketball, okay? And so it wasn't just mission that drive community. There's something else there. Now, mission aids community, but I actually believe that community, what we do in here, it often aids and it catapults mission, does it not? You see, if you're welcomed in here, you feel loved, and then what do you want to do when you leave here? Love, right? You feel loved in here, so you want to go out there and spread love. And as you go out there and spread love, it actually builds in here, which makes us love all the more. And it's this really awesome cyclical process of the gospel. I think that when we love one another, it is following the commands of Christ. I mean, isn't that how God set up the whole Old Testament anyway? He called the nation of Israel to be a people and then to welcome outsiders in. Because of the way they did life together, they just jacked it up. He calls the church to do the exact same thing, though. And we don't have to jack it up because the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. We can do it in some really awesome ways. And so I believe there's this cyclical process that God wants. So not only is it an evangelism tool, though, but it also perseveres your faith, does it not? Like it edifies us in Christ. Because, y'all, can we keep it a buck? Life is a lonely, ain't it? Like life is a lonely sometimes. I mean, in the past month, okay, like, like real talk, and we in church, so don't be lying, all right? You shouldn't be lying anyway, it's the command of Christ, but especially not amongst the household of God, all right? Like how many of y'all in the past month on a Saturday or on a Sunday, like you, when you were thinking about coming to church, you just really did not want to come to the Sunday gathering. Just raise your hand, be honest. Raise it high, all right? The same, the same, the same height as the other one. My hand is raised too, y'all. Look, an elder's hand is raised, a staff person, your lead pastor at times have felt like I don't want to come. And then look at, we were iffy to that point. But what does it look like for us not to want to be amongst the people of God? How in the world are we to become like God who wanted to be amongst the people of God so much that he became a human and died for us? That's how much he wanted to be in the people of God. But we all just confessed, I'm not like God all the time. Right? Like sometimes I lack this. But what does welcoming one another do? It breaks that, does it not? Because if you decide to come even just a little bit and you're welcomed in, very few of us would still be like, yeah, I don't feel like being here. Like immediately you're welcomed into the household of God. It literally perseveres your faith and it nurtures or grows or matures or edifies your faith, saints. This is why this is so important. Welcoming is this crazy, crazy ministry. And so this really simple thing that we could spend like six seconds exegeting and, and thinking about, but we're spending a whole sermon thinking about, like look at all the complexity of just this one verse. I believe it does wonders in the church of Christ. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we took a sabbatical like two and a half years ago. And one of the things that the elders made us do was that uh, we had to go visit different churches and we couldn't like come to the well because even though everybody knew he was on sabbatical, they'd be, hey, Tori, can we get a meeting? And that wasn't the purpose, all right? And so we had to go visit all these other churches. And the first week I was in North Carolina doing a little retreat and I was by myself. And so I tried to get my brother to come to church with me and he was like, nah, I don't feel like going to church. And I was like, you bum, all right? 
And so I really had to go by myself, and I realized I hadn't had to do that in almost a decade because I'm the pastor of the church. And so I knew the church that I was in. I'm, I'm never going by myself, but here I am going to church by myself. And real talk, y'all, I was scared because unlike the 10% of y'all that ain't nervous when you walk into a new place, I am, all right? And I walked in, and I, was, I didn't know what to do, and nobody greeted me. Nobody welcomed me as Christ has welcomed us in. So I kind of knew what to do. I mean, I'm a pastor, right? So I'm like, oh, look, there's coffee over there. That's where they want people to kind of mingle and gather. So I walk over, grab some coffee. I'm just sitting there, y'all, chilling. And I'm insecure. My coffee's like this. It's the, <laughs> the protective shield, right? And here we go. I'm drinking it. And all of a sudden, behind me, this, like, 75-year-old man was like, hey, that ain't for you. Real talk. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And he walked away. I have no idea if he was kidding with me. I don't know if it was real. But I got traumatized. Right? I put the coffee down, walked into church, okay. And I was sitting there and I was trying to worship God, y'all. But I couldn't help but feel like unwelcomed in that place. And it probably wasn't that they didn't want me. They probably wanted me there. But I felt like I was unwelcomed in, in all real ways. And it took me a minute to sit there and worship and go, okay, Jesus, it's me and you here, right? It's me and you here. Here we go, Christ. I'm here to worship you. But it ain't just me and Jesus. You see, church is me, Jesus, and God's people. That's where our souls come alive. It ain't just me and Christ. It ain't just you and Christ. It's you and Jesus and the saints of God that edify us to see Christ more clearly. And so that church, whether intentionally or unintentionally, by missing the mark there, by not recognizing, they actually left me where I didn't really get filled up that day, y'all. I was kind of distracted in the sermon, and I was thinking the whole time, we bet not never do that at the well. And I was working, all right? And so it's important in the body of Christ. Now, what would it look like to fulfill that great commandment, right? Like loving God with all of ourselves within this great commission obedience of welcoming. How do you do this with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? We're going to fly through these. But with the heart, like think about how it feels maybe. And that might help you welcome other people. Think about when you were welcomed in really awesome ways, like when we just raised our hand. Or think about when you were rejected and how that felt and how you don't really want other people to feel that. I mean, even just this past week, my daughter came home and said that she was really sad because she was on the playground and nobody was playing with her. She felt rejected, unwelcomed. The 10% of you that didn't raise your hand, you never experienced that. The rest of us, you know what that's like, right? Like, it doesn't feel good to not feel welcomed even as a first grader. I was ready to be like, y'all better welcome my daughter. Shoot. She's a little snot nose. All right. But I didn't do that because God sanctified me a little bit. But remember that, that feeling, that desire that I had to make sure she was loved and welcomed. Like, remember that, and it moves our heart to action. It can move you to action amongst each other that nobody would ever feel like my daughter felt on the playground or like you have felt in the playground in the past too. With our soul, maybe it's us believing that it's actually important. Remember, the soul is the part of us that sacrifices. We really believe it, so we make sacrifices to do it. And so maybe we come a little bit earlier or we stay a little bit later because we're just trying to welcome somebody and do our part of following this command. Because, you know, only new people come to church early anyway. The rest of y'all be showing up at like 210. I see you. Don't. Another summer for another time, all right? But we got to believe this is gospel ministry. Maybe with the mind, it's actually thinking about this and coming prepared, literally thinking about people that we can welcome in different ways, thinking about specific people even. I remember when I went to college, there was uh, my college pastor, his name was Chad, 
And I walked into college at Bowling Green State University completely out of my element because I grew up in the hood and then I went to Bowling Green, which is a majority white college. Don't know a black person go to a college named Bowling Green. <laughs> All right, so I went and played football there, got hurt right away, never played. So here I am in this church, and there's like me, my friend who I brought with me, and one other black sister, and ain't nobody else in there. And I also grew up in a charismatic church, and so I'm used to people running around, speaking during the sermon, like dancing, and I went in there, and they were like, how great is our God, spirit moving, sing with me, right? And that was a form of worship. So I was like, yo, I don't feel welcomed in this place, all right? And so I was trying to leave, but then my college pastor, Chad, it's like he saw me the whole time. And he ran over, beeline to me, was like, hey, yo, what up? You knew? I'm like, yeah. He's like, hey, would you like to get like a meal together? We'd love to connect with you. And I'm like, that's kind of strange, but sure, because I ain't grew up with discipleship. And all of a sudden, Chad started discipling me. And I asked him one day, like, yo, why did you beeline for me? And he said, I knew that you wouldn't feel like you were, uh, had a place here but I wanted to make a place for you that you might make a place for others. He thought about it, right? His mind was active, and so he pursued me. And the ministry went from being three black people to like 15% minority when I left, and it's like 30% now. Literally, Chad's thoughtfulness, it changed the dynamics of the church, I believe, in a lot of ways. And so you can think about it, or with your strength, maybe it's just actually doing it, right? Strength is our obedience, our doing it. It's the following out. So it's like talking to the person who's alone, or it's inviting the person to your community group, or it's passing somebody else off if you don't have the time so that at least they feel welcome in some way. You see, doing this, it changes the dynamics of any environment. It makes this look a little bit more like the kingdom of heaven instead of the brokenness of our earth around us. Because in the kingdom, Jesus welcomes you, family. Now this looks different than the world around us, doesn't it? Who welcomes us based on what we can give to them, right? And so if we're important or if we're cool or if we benefit them, then they welcome us, like James 2 says. So we feel like we got to put ourselves together before we feel welcome. That's not true in the household of God. You see, Jesus takes us where we are, even in our brokenness and even in our messiness. He doesn't make us alter who we are that we might be welcomed. He alters who he is that he might welcome us. And then as he welcomes us, he doesn't leave us there, okay? So we ain't on some cheap grace. He changes us to make us more like him, but he welcomes us in. And this is what we should do as a church as well. I thought it was really cool at Men's Retreat, if you were there last week, where Adam actually did that. I don't know what caused him to do that. He had no idea I was preaching on this this week. But he walked up and said, yo, I don't know why God is doing this, but if any of the men kind of feel lonely in this room, they feel like they don't have a place, like, would you raise your hand? And about 10, 15 guys did. And then all the men came and surrounded them and prayed over them. And I was like, shoot, I should have raised my hand. I want prayer like that, right? But it was awesome welcoming people in. Or I think about in our Justice and Mercy series that we did last fall. I did a sermon on immigration. And I want to show two different text messages. I probably got like 60 messages after that sermon. But there are two different ones. Throw the first one up on the screen. I tried to block it out there, all right, who it was. But it says, hey, for the first time in my blank years as a Christian, I've been a part of a church that speaks on my behalf. Thank you. I said, wow, praise God. Thank you, said person. <laughs> That's really encouraging. The Lord speaks on your behalf, my friend. He loves you. 
Go to the next one. There was another text I got. Goodness, Tori. Thank you. Uh, it was extremely powerful to hear all the truth about how God views me. I literally wept through the whole thing. Thank you for real. It feels like a lot of band-aids fell off and I can begin some healing in a lot of places where rejection had cut deep. I appreciate you so much for preaching on this. Say, hey, praise God, yo. That's encouraging to hear. <laughs> I mean, look, I just talk how I talk, all right? <laughs> I said, thank you sincerely. Uh, I meant what I said, and you were one of the people that were on my mind. You make our church better. You show us Christ more clearly. You see, what they had never felt was welcomed in the church of Christ because they were immigrants, refugees, people that were told by our nation that they were not accepted. But in this sermon, they all of a sudden felt welcome. And when they realized that they were not just welcome in our church, but welcome amongst the kingdom of God, they were welcome not just as kind of outsiders, but they were brought in as sons and daughters of the Most High God, co-heirs of Christ, not second-class citizens, but children of the Most High God. They were welcomed, y'all. And they felt what they had not felt in other churches before. Do you see why this is so important to welcome as Christ has welcomed us? They would welcome, and I would argue this was to the glory of God and for us and for them and to the worship of our king. Now, like all commands, God gifts different people with extra grace to be able to carry these things out well. And I believe there's a lot of examples for us that we can even follow or imitate in our church. There's these small reflections and examples of Christ amongst us. I think about Linda Farah, who for me, like every time she sees me, she runs up, she gives me a hug. And I feel like she always has some word from the Lord for me. And I'm like, man, praise God. Like that feels like it welcomes me. Or I think about Daniel and Angie Ede. And there's some people like Angie in that sense where, you know, times you can kind of not want to feel welcomed. They break through it anyway. Kind of like, I don't really want to be seen. They're like, no, I'm going to smile at you anyway and say, hey, what up? And they say, okay, hey, what up? And then I get back in, right? And I love that. Think about Renee Lamers, who I've watched her, uh, Lamers, I've watched her pay attention to people, right? Where if they're high, she actually meets them high. But if they're low, she actually meets them low. And she recognizes where they are and she meets them there, welcoming them in their presence. Caroline Riley or Brian Ellis, who's chill, right? I bring him up because he ain't like, hey, what up though? Yeah, right? Like that ain't how he welcomes people. He's chill, he's calm, but he makes you feel loved and welcomed anyway. There are leaders in our church, like Casey, who's singing, who you have all probably been welcomed by, or Huli on our staff team, or Amanda Henry, one of the elder wives, or I think about Kale Gardenhire, or Allison Burns, right, who has this like very gentle affection but welcomes you. I think about Caleb and Sarah Fulgham, who welcome us both in their home and at our church. It's very rare that I don't get loved on by Caleb or Sarah at some point when I'm in a gathering. It's like they come to find me. In fact, as a small random aside, uh, how many of you have been in, I think about Anthony Beltrez, who is awesome. He's a great pastor in this way. My wife is awesome at this as well. So not only at church, but even in a home environment, how many of you have been in either the Beltrez's home, Anthony and Judy, the Fulgham's home, Caleb and Sarah, or the Mayo home at some point when you've been at the well? Would you raise your hand if you've been to one of those? Put it high once again. Okay. Like, look. In just three people, like 20% of the room has been in one of those three houses. And I'm not trying to be exhaustive in this list, but I just know there are these people you've probably felt welcomed by, y'all. And that probably encouraged your faith. 
I think about Nick Garza, who's going on the church plant. Literally, one of the most welcoming persons here, I believe that going on that church plant, that welcoming ministry will help keep Bridge Church alive early on because it's welcoming that makes the people want to come to the household of God. He's a gift to that church, y'all. And so in one very simple command, which is part of the Great Commission, if we carry this out fully as a church, it would literally change the world. It would literally alter things around us. And so what if we came on Sundays not just looking to be served, but looking to serve even in areas like this? We'd be a home that everyone wants to be a part of. What if we began to not just follow this command like this, but all of them like this, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength? It would change things, y'all. Will we ever get there this side of eternity? No, we won't. But the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, and so we can get closer and closer as we image Christ together. You see, our flesh is still wicked, it still wants to be served, but the more we teach others to obey everything that Jesus taught us, and the more we reflect it, then the more that the shadow of the kingdom becomes the substance of the kingdom. The more we reflect it, the more the shadow becomes the substance. And I believe our souls are nurtured and they come alive because of that. And so let us always be a church that welcomes one another as Christ has welcomed us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, Christ, that this very, 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 very simple command, it actually, it, it could literally change church, change the city, it could change the world. I just think about my mom who got rejected from the church and wasn't welcome because she was 17 and was pregnant with me. And that rejection and hostility made her kind of stay away from church for two decades. But then, Christ, because of your goodness and your grace, you drew her back in. And she's serving. She's on the welcome team now. How crazy is that? I got to think about how many of our stories is probably really similar to that story. We got rejected for some reason, not embraced. God, I pray that would never happen at the well. Where it does, I pray that you would shower out grace and mercy. You would shower out forgiveness. You would shower out repentance. That we would be a church that just looks different, God. Christ, I thank you for welcoming us. That you have welcomed each of us into the kingdom of God. God, I pray for those who have yet to accept that invitation. They they have not uh, been welcomed by you because they have not received you. They have not taken the water of life. They have not taken the bread of life. They have not taken you as their Lord. God, I pray today that they would welcome you into their hearts. Friend, today you can know the God who will welcome you into eternity if you welcome him in. He will be there, not cold-shouldered. He will welcome you with open arms like the prodigal father embraces and loves. I mean, thank you for that, Jesus. God, I pray that there would be people that give their lives to you today, that make you both Savior and Lord, that follow you. And God, 
for all of us who have professed faith in you. Thank you for welcoming us in. I know we don't deserve it, but you have given it freely. So God, I pray we would come to you as Revelation 22 says, would we come to you, Christ, who welcomes us so freely? And would we receive that intimate embrace that is offered in the gospel over and over and over again? I pray this in your very beautiful name, Christ. Amen.